Yeah, good morning everybody and it really is great to be in God's house and um, just to worship God and for God just to do things and in those quiet moments of just worship and reflection, God ministering to people as well. And there is something about gathering. We, we emphatically believe that God is with us every moment of every day of the week, but there's something about coming together that you can't really put into words. Just a couple of things, you know, Christian mentioned this morning about harvest and what an amazing... Um, uh, what an amazing response. I did think, Julie, that we might have we plough the fields and scatter this morning. But anyway, but, but, but maybe not, you know. And, uh, but, um, and the other thing is, will, will you pray for Alison Jenkins? Um, because next Saturday, Alison is going on mission. And uh, she's going to eastern, southeastern Romania, Constanza, with a group of uh, people from the Hub Church in Rotherham, John Andrews Church, and there's about 10 of them going. Alison's part of that team. That's fantastic, isn't it? So we're praying for you, Alison. And she's away for a week. And she'll be back two weeks today. And we pray that God will bless you amazingly. And give our love to everybody there. Um, just just on the whole uh, 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 momentum of, of Food Bank, do continue to pray. Pray for uh, all those people that are uh, very significantly involved. When I was away, I, uh, a little different to what we did in church, but rolled out some leadership lessons on Nehemiah. And Nehemiah chapter 5, most folks tend to gloss over. But if you've got a new international version, you'll read at the top of that particular chapter that it says, Nehemiah feeds or fed the poor. And the reality was that in all that they were doing to see brokenness restored, there was a problem that was right before them that actually unattended could have pulled them back from what God wanted them to do best. And it was brilliant leadership, absolutely brilliant the way it was led. And it says that Nehemiah got angry. And uh, the word, the original word in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word there is the word charar. It simply, it's not angry, me getting angry with Christian in a negative sense. It's meaning that something burns within you. And the reality is that food bank, friends, has began because people got angry. Uh, not angry sort of storming and knocking folks about, and giving, but angry in the fact that people on the doorstep of our church are going to bed at night hungry. That's the reality of why we're doing food bank. Something has burned within them. And uh, I encourage you to get angry about that because it will fuel your passion to continually give. And uh, the reality is, as Bob reminded us last week, that in the bank things go in and things go out. And we aren't in a position to overdraw. You know, we've got to have what's coming in to go out. So please be encouraged in all of that. I wonder this morning if uh, for a little time you'll go to Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses of, uh, from Revelation. And this morning I'm just going to set the scene. And I hope that it's more than that in the sense that it inspires us, it speaks to us, it touches us. Uh, of a little series that we're just going to run over these uh, late autumn weeks uh, before we hit the Christmas program. Now in the midst of all that there'll be a couple of interjections of ministry in two weeks time as Julie has told us. We've got Gavin and Glenda Williams with us, and that will be a, a great uh, Saturday morning. And also Gavin's going to minister at 9 and 11 on Sunday morning as well. And he brings a rich ministry to the body of Christ, and I know that you'll be touched and blessed by that. And then towards the end of November, God willing, we're going to have a veteran minister of Samuels of God with us, John Mosley, a friend of Eric's. And uh, John's uh, daughter, Helga, was killed in that infamous Pan Am Flight 103 over 20 years ago that was blown into eternity over Lockerbie in Scotland. And John and his wife have had to process all the forgiveness and pain that that terrible day brought. 
and they've done it to the glory of God. And at the end of November, they'll be with us in the morning and probably at Mansfield in the evening. It'll be a great opportunity for you to bring some friends, friends that are embittered and twisted and what if there's a God? Do, 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 because this man will just minister right into your hearts in an amazing way. And in all of that, in local church ministry, we're just going to roll out from Revelation 1, 2, and 3. I know some of you would like me to go to 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 as well, but we're not doing that. We're going to go to Revelation 1, 2, and 3. Because really we're going to talk about something that we've entitled H-mail from Jesus. And there should be a, a, a backdrop that goes up in a moment from that. H-mail from Jesus. I'm going to read a few verses from, uh, from Revelation 1, beginning at verse 9. And I'm reading from the New International Version. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom... And patient endurance that aroused in Jesus was on the island of Patmos. Why was, on the, why was he on the island of Patmos? Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, to, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of rushing or many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Right there for what you've seen. What is now and what will take place later? The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels or the messengers or the leaders of the churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The reality is, friends, that we're going to be talking about communication. And there's always been a fascination through the history of time with people having an ability to communicate. The early... Uh, uh, fathers of the human race found materials that they could write on, they could communicate with. Sometimes they inscribed that in stone or rock. But it was an opportunity for them to pass on to people a message. And then, of course, uh, for many, many years through the Dark Ages, the ordinary common man, semi-literate and sometimes totally illiterate, would have been communicated to by people that had a language that they couldn't really identify with because they couldn't read it. And there were abuses in that. We have to say, friends, there were abuses in the church. The priest used to stand at the front using a language that wasn't the language of the man, often Latin, reading a Bible that nobody else could read. And yet he could say what he wanted and often did, and it caused some problems. And the reality is that not only in this context, but particularly in the context of putting the Bible in the ordinary man's hand, there were heroic people like William Tyndale and John Wycliffe played incredible price in their life with a passion to put the Bible into the hands of the common man so that God could communicate with them. And here we are, three, four hundred years after that, on an October morning here in Ilkeston, with many people right across this church building with open Bibles, an opportunity this week to read your Bible every day and for God to be able to speak to 
came at a price. It came, friends, with people saying that we will literally give everything to allow people the privilege of being communicated with by God. And I, I want to say, friends, and I'm not, please hear me. It's not, I love people bringing the Bibles to church. I'm not too fond of when I'm reading the Bible, it's going up on the screen. Because you know what happens six months later? Well, I'm not bothered taking my Bible today because it's going to go up on the screen. And all we're doing is just gawking at things. I love the rest, rustle of pages. I love Bibles falling apart. Charles, Adam Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon says that if your Bible's falling apart, it's pretty sure your life isn't. In other words, you're reading it. So I love all that. And I encourage you to bring the Word of God to church. I encourage you to read it regularly because it has been placed in your hands at a price. And then we've got Alexander Graham Bell who invented the telephone. We've got Samuel Morse that devised Morse code that has been an amazing help to people often in desperate situations. We've got the Frenchman Louis Braille that came up with an opportunity for blind and partially sighted people to communicate and live a reasonably normal life. In our last government, and leaving aside some of his issues, we had as Holding high office in the Labour government, David Blunkett, MP for Sheffield Brightside, totally blind and able to operate a high office in government because of the genius of people like Louis Braille. Communication. And then, of course, over the last 10, 15, 20 years, we've come across a communications revolution that's been fueled by the internet. We have people here today in this church that have never known life without the internet. Isn't that incredible? They're obviously not as old as me, but they're here. They think the internet's always been here. They think mobile phones have always been here. They think iPhones have always been here. Friends, it's new. It's new. It's relatively new. And now we've got iPhones and consoles and computers of various kinds. We've got world news reverberating around the globe in a matter of seconds. I was in a national leaders meeting in Gloucester on on, uh, Wednesday. It was a full-on day. We got there about 9, 9.30. We had a cup of tea. We went into the day. We just had a working lunch. And I'm making a joke at the end of the day to John Partington, who's our national leader, who is a Liverpool fan. You know. So, you know. And I made this comment. And it was just in cover. I says, well, you're not going to have a club by the end of the day. He says, you aren't. You know, because all this sort of nonsense, you know. And, of course, somebody had got it on their iPhone and said, ah, ha, 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 ha. 12 o'clock. John W. Emery came marching across the pond from Boston Red Sox. He's bought us. Now, the reality is I didn't push that because whilst they should have been listening to John, they were obviously on their iPhone getting the news. You know, but... And it may be that somebody's doing that right now, you know. There's no football until later. You're okay, you know. But it's a great... We were, I'm at a wedding yesterday up near um, Hartlepool. You know, the old time, like this way, eh? And... Uh, and uh, 20 past four, we're in the reception. And please, ladies, it's a bloke thing, and it's a football thing. I know it sounds a bit sad, but what's the scores? You know, you know they're losing 2-0. Now, yesterday was particularly painful because my team lost to Barnsley. My wife's from Barnsley, you know. You know. And so, a, a painful day. I'm over it already, but there we go. Instant communication. Just a few years ago, in this amazing good news story of the past week, we'd have had a few grainy pictures from the middle of the desert in Chile. 
as those 33 minus came out. But now it's in HD, high definition. You can see every pimple on the face. It was hilarious, wasn't it, when that big minor came out. And his mum says, oh, he's lost so much weight. He's lost so... (laughs) He's going to be back on the pies pretty quick, you know, but... But what I, f- I mean, we so often get up with economic decline, budget restrictions, all that sort of thing. But for two or three days, just an amazing story of hope. And I want to tell you, friends, those of you like to sort of get on the internet, if you sort of Google in uh, Chaplin to the Chilean president, or you go on iPlayer, or wh- however you do it, but you must get his interview with Peter Allen on Radio 5 on Wednesday afternoon, because I'm coming up the M5 or whatever it is. This guy's on. It was met with utter cynicism by our wonderful BBC journalist who said, well, would anybody like to text in and see what they think about that? But this guy was amazing. He says, there's so many things been happening. Very articulate. In fact, his English was just incredible. And he says, there haven't been 33 people down the mine. There's been 34, and the 34th has been Jesus Christ, the Son of God. People have been coming to faith. There's been an evangelical preacher that's one of the miners that's been praying for him every day. Amazing things. It'll all roll out. I know one or two of them have got to deal with six or seven women as well, but that's another, you know, but, but, you know, but, you know, it'll all roll out over the next few days. God, friends, is everywhere. Psalm 139. He cannot be limited. And I thought about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Didn't we throw three in the furnace? There's four, and the fourth is like the Son of God. It wasn't like the Son of God, friends. It was the Son of God. He was right there with them. So, communication, amazing. And I want to take you back to the first century, because this is where the context of Revelation 1 is. No easy transport links, no spring harvest, no conferences, no resources, no access to the latest um, uh, CD that's reverberating around the world. Not the latest message. Not, oh, you need to go on, on, um, on uh, what's the thing that brings the photos up on the internet? No, no. YouTube, thank you. None of that, none of it, okay? But a passionate Jesus wanting to communicate. And the church was around about 100 years old, friends, probably a little less. It had been birthed in the fire of the Holy Spirit. It had been scattered in God's purpose by persecution. Churches have been planted. Apostolic ministries have been established. God was moving in an amazing way. But the reality was that there was still uh, the, the pall of uh, Roman rule over the known world at that time, not now by Nero, but by Domitian, who was as brutal in his way that he did things. There was uh, false teaching that was arising that was undermining the truth of Jesus. There was an uncertain future. Wow! How many people do you speak to on the street, in the office, at work this week that are uncertain about the future? And Jesus brings a word. And friends, Jesus has always got a word. And so these seven churches scattered over around 200 square miles in western Turkey were ministered to. Turkey is an interesting nation. Terry and Linda there now on holiday, and lots of people are in and out on holiday, but it's the axis between Asia and Europe. It's a place we need to keep our eyes on. It's an interesting place. And uh, the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Permagon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, real churches. 
I was talking to my friend Gavin whilst I was away, and the type of guy he is, he says, Phil, what, what sets up for the ministry in uh, Arena Church during the autumn? So I told I said, well, you're coming, obviously. And we've, I says, we're, we're going to do a, a, some ministry on the seven churches in Revelation. He says, we did the tour, didn't we, Glenda? So about 14 years ago, they led a tour of Australian Christians and pilgrims to Western Turkey, did every site, real places, worshipped the Lord, brought devotions, magnified God. The tour operator that did the tour with them at the time says, I have never been on a tour like it. They did Gallipoli as well, which is the southern tip of Turkey. Won't sort of get to us, but the Aussies, they go to Gallipoli, they, they're just into the floods of tears. The cricket team come through Gallipoli every time they come and try and take the ashes off us. Because in, 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 in the First World War, not, not very good leadership from the Brits, but hundreds of Aussies got blown to smithereens at the Battle of Gallipoli. So they do all that and they shed the tears and, you know, and then they did the seven, tour, seven churches. Real places and how did Jesus communicate young people he didn't have the internet he didn't have a phone the only way he could communicate was by letter and here's a here's a secret that you won't believe but when I first started courting Sharon which is an old-fashioned world in its sense but there we go um and it was courting it was courting you know I always did it at a distance because I've told you she came from Barnsley. I live in Nottingham. We're 50 miles away. And some people said, never the two shall meet, but somehow it did. So I used to write to her. And then when I went to Bible college, we were engaged by that time. I used to write to her. And she bemoans the deterioration of my handwriting because at that time it was really, really good. I was schooled well. Here's the rattle of the nuttle at school. If you, Chris, you remember? Here's the rattle of the nuttle at school if you didn't write properly. So you got it pretty... Now it's shocking. It's a bit like the doctors, you know, there's so much writing. Now, the thing is, she threw all these letters away. Can you believe it? And when I was talking to my friends, the Williamses, Glenda still saved some of Gavin's, you know, all these years later. You know, I need the palm of that hand right now, Christian. But I just, just, I just, <sighs> it's how we communicated. We tried the phone. I had that much huffing and puffing from my mum and dad about the phone, you know. But who's going to pay the bill? <laughs> so Jesus writes. And he finds a scribe. And the scribe is the beloved disciple, John. Where's John? He's in exile on Patmos. Why is he in Patmos in exile? Because friends of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. There are still regimes in the world today that take people away from where they want them to be think of Siberia not too many years ago think of that lady in in uh, Burma even today under house sort of moved separated her for the cause for the human rights cause they wanted John away Patmos was an island 40 miles off the mainland about 65 miles from Ephesus and the, he was probably banished there by the authorities because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus and brothers and sisters this morning, in absolute liberty, not to make us guilty but grateful, there are, there are friends of ours whose freedom is impeded simply for believing the same as what we do. And we need to keep praying for them. So he writes this letter. And Romans 15, 4 says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through encouragement and endurance of the scriptures, we might have hope. You see, Phil, what's all that got to do with this? Because the word then is a word now. 
It speaks to us. You see, Jesus had a smile on his face. Because he realized that when these seven letters went out to the seven churches through John, they were going to be taken into the canon of scripture. And 2,000 years later, there was going to be this bloke called Phil in Ilkeston that was going to be speaking about it. And it was still going to have an impact. That's the word of God. That is the word of God. And the symbolism that revolves around Revelation is even captured in this communication, which I'll come to in a moment. John Stott, that amazing, enduring evangelical minister in aged years now, but still blessing the church, particularly with his writings, said that these letters were written to call the church to endure, to hold fast, to resist and obey. We live in a more sophisticated, savvy age. I understand that. But the reality is, friends, we need to keep being drawn back as Christian believers this morning to the relevance of eternity. Because the things that we can't see are the things that really are most important in our lives. And if you're on a journey to faith this morning, the most important things in your life are the things that you can't see. And they're the things that determine your life forever and ever. I understand that in a material world particularly in a Western material world, when we are continually bombarded with people saying, if you want a real life, you've got to have that. If you're real life, you've got to swap that. If you're real life, you've got to update that. It's very difficult. But God calls us, friends, not to be dominated by the things that we see, but to come under the things that we can't see. Radio 4 listeners in Arena Church, and there are a few, and the young people are glazing over going, thinking, God, grief. Radio 4, what's that? We'll remember the great communicator, Alistair Cook. Alistair Cook was born in Salford, Manchester. He was educated in Cambridge. He became a foreign correspondent for the BBC. He went to work in America. He so liked it that he took American citizenship. And for over 50 years, he used to send his letter from America. 15 minutes, brilliant, brilliant voice, brilliant journalist, brilliant communication. Kennedy assassinated, Cook had something to say. Nixon impeached, Cook had something to say. Bill Clinton, well, we won't go there, but Cook had something to say. Every one of them, he had something to say. For over 50 years, he used to speak, brilliant. And then those guys got that, you know, Scottish blokes, you know, letter from, I'm not even going to say, I'm going to sing it, letter from America. But brothers and sisters, over the next few weeks, this is not a letter from America, it's a letter from heaven. It's not a letter from heaven in the past, it's a letter from heaven that speaks into the present. It's not a letter from heaven that's irrelevant, it's a letter from heaven that will, I believe, impassion our hearts to be all that Jesus intends us to be. A letter that comes to seven lampstands that are the seven churches. And so Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, John said, write what you see, as he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And as a little foundation, friends, for the next few weeks, here's the question that I want to answer very briefly as I come towards the second part of the ministry this morning. What Jesus are you seeing? What Jesus are you seeing? I don't want to go back to last Sunday night's ministry at Mansfield, but in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus took an opinion poll. He said to the disciples, who do people say that I am? Actually, the answers now would be very little different from the answers then. If we, if we got some folks outside Tesco next Saturday with a clipboard and we said, we're doing a survey from Arena Church. We want you to give us that. Here's the question. 
What do you think about Jesus? Oof, who I got time for that. Je Jesus, uh, yeah, he, he was a good teacher, wasn't he? Uh, uh, somebody said he was the son of God. Yeah, he was, he was a good egg, Jesus. I, I, I mean, I'm not religious. Don't get me into that. But I think what he said was, we'd get all that. That's what they were getting. But then by revelation, and friends, let's not spook this word revelation. It simply means unveiling. And every one of us need continual revelation. You could not become a Christian without revelation. Because you, there were people here today that went to church for 20 years. Brilliant. Incredible commitment. Until one day they were confronted with who Jesus really was. <sighs> Better do something about it. Better do something about it. And so by revelation, Peter says, never mind about what they're saying. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And as C.S. Lewis said, that changes everything. And Lewis brings three responses to that statement. Number one, we can accuse Jesus of being a liar. Number two, we can accuse him of being a lunatic. There's been plenty of people over the years who says, I'm the Messiah. You know, whoo. Yeah, right. Or thirdly, friends, he's Lord. And if he's Lord, and he is, he draws a response from humankind. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So what Jesus do you see? Do you see Jesus as a baby? Now, let me tell you, if you're from the heartlands of Nottingham, and I am, it's not a baby, it's a baby. And if the mam's Wendy and the little baby's Tracer, it's a great combination. Okay. <laughs> Some of them have got it. <laughs> because they come from Strella. <laughs> but he's a baby. Yeah, I've become rather cultured over the years. <laughs> he's a baby. And Christian said last week, and he just sparked something in my heart when he said it. He was just an off-the-cuff comment, Christian. But you said something like, we're going to unapologetically celebrate this at Christmas because we believe it. Yeah. And friends, I, I'm one of these people that don't do Christmas in October, you know, so I'm grumpy old man for a few more weeks yet. Although I love all that. And we've planned Christmas. We were doing a Christmas planning meeting this week. It's all sorted, so don't worry. Um, but the reality is I like to wait till December the 1st before I start, you know, getting into the Noel mood. No L, not no. <laughs> but the reality is I love Christmas. And do you know what the challenge is to me? I think the more the world tries to secularize it, I think there's a kickback happening. The reality is, friends, there are the churches right across this region are packed to capacity. The uh, cathedral in Derby had to put extra services on last year. Now, I know it's for religious reasons, but the reality is there's a kickback taking place because people want to celebrate what it's really about. And unashamedly this morning, friends, because we believe in the miraculous power of God, we believe that Jesus came as a baby, born of a virgin Mary, to this world. We believe in the teaching of the incarnation. That's what it is. We're going to sing about it. We're going to celebrate it. This brass ensemble is going to lead us. It's going to be an amazing time to bring new people to church. We're going to enjoy all that because we believe in the baby. But he's not a baby. See, some people want to stay at Christmas. Oh, ain't he lovely, Jesus? Oh. So they talk to him. 
lovely Jesus. You know, he's not a baby, friends. And then he's a, he, he, what, what Jesus do you see? Is he a good man? Well, the Bible tells us in Acts 10 that he went about doing good and he's still going about doing good today. You know, friends, Jesus is still turning people's lives around. Amazingly. This wedding we were at yesterday, the groom has had a Damascus Road experience. What a conversation. I won't go go into any of the details. Suffice to say that this man has lived in very, very dark places. He's got a smile now that lights up a room. He's completely free. Delivered from all sorts of things overnight because Jesus is still turning people's lives around. But he's more than a good man. How do you see Jesus? You see Jesus as an indulgent relative. You know, the little grandkid comes along. We're not there yet, I'm ready. But My dad says, I can't have that ice cream. Oh, don't worry about that here. You know. Uncle that comes in every sort of few months. You know, he's throwing out £10 notes like they've gone out of fashion. An indulgent relative. Friends, do you see Jesus simply as someone that just bails you out? That just gives you what you want every time. And if he don't give you what you want every time, you're going off to somebody else. Because he's more than that. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Apostle John, friends, had a similar unveiling of Jesus. And in my closing five or six minutes, I want to give you four things. Because this is the Jesus that he saw. And this is the Jesus I see. Number one, we need to see his humanity. Verse 12, he says that Jesus was like the Son of Man. The Son of Man. It's a title frequently describing Jesus in the Scriptures. Theologians have debated for years. The Son of Man, the Son of God. I have to confess, it's not an easy teaching to get your head around. But they're bedfellows. They sit together. He is and was the Son of God. He is and was the Son of Man. He identifies with our humanity. The whole of the Gospel of Luke, friends, was written with an emphasis on the manhood, the humanity of Jesus. So what does that mean? What that means is, friends, that he utterly identifies with every person in this church this morning. That is the miracle of the incarnation. You don't know what I'm going through. Perhaps I don't, but I know a man that does. The temptations I'm facing at the moment, oof. And I won't go, to, I could sort of open up some temptations. I'll let your imagination run riot. And the Bible tells us, friends, that Jesus was tempted in every point like we are, yet without sin. And I don't want to stretch that this morning because I don't want in any way to be disrespectful to the Savior. But when it says every point, it means every point. He knows what you're going through. And he set away, friends, whereby there's a place of victory and blessing because he identifies with you. And he comes continually like he did in those precious hush moments of worship this morning to extend his palm over our lives and says I'm with you, I'm with you I'm the son of man I'm with you, I'm with you in your humanity 
I'm with you in that murky world that you live. I'm with you in that unsafe family. I'm with you in that workplace where Jesus' name is blasphemed a thousand times a week. I'm with you. I'm the son of man. Not only his humanity, but also his authority. Because in verse 13, it says that he was dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and a golden sash was around his chest. And it's symbolizing the priestly authority that Jesus carried. Now, brothers and sisters, listen to this. Because Daniel says that he, Jesus, was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And all the peoples and nations of every language worshipped him. You see, often we can be describing what Jesus has done for us. That's fantastic. But you need to realize that when you came to Jesus to ask him to do something for you, he also wants to be over you. He's the king of the kingdom. He has dominion over our lives. We submit to a new authority. He's got a sash around his chest that says, if you will yield and submit to me, your life will be incredibly blessed. Now, I don't know how it works for you, but it works for me sometimes when Jesus, by his spirit, speaks to my life. And the next time I go to prayer, I think that Jesus has forgot what he said about when he spoke to me the other day. And he's highlighted something, maybe an attitude problem, maybe something I need to say sorry about, maybe something that I need to apply the cleansing of the blood of Jesus to. And sometimes I push that away. Guess what happens? The moment I submit again to the authority of Jesus, he says, "Ah, I've not forgotten. What about? You see, some of us give pushback to Jesus and then wonder why we don't grow. You will grow when you continually thank Jesus for what he's done for you, but acknowledge that he is over you. He stands with the royal sash around his chest to say, I want not only to be the saviour of your life, but the king. To exercise authority. If you want to live in authority, you need to come under authority. If you want to minister with authority, you need to submit to authority. Thirdly, is antiquity. Verse 14. His head and his hair were like wool, as white as snow. Was it literal... Probably not. But the Bible describes him again in Daniel 7, friends, as the ancient of days. Matthew's gospel describes Jesus as the king. Mark's gospel describes Jesus as the servant. Luke's gospel describes Jesus as the son of man. John's gospel, forget all these descendants of begatting what and begetting. In the beginning was the word. The word was God and the word was with God. It's the word of God, friends. He's always been there. Oh, my problems, my situations, my challenges, my difficulties. You know, the Bible says that we can cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. It's not a trite saying. Friends, Jesus has been around a long time. He's the ancient of days. He's not panicked by your situation or phased by it. He wants you to come today to realize that he's always been and he always will be and he's right there with you. Eugene Peterson describes Jesus as the A to Z. And so we pray for the A to Z because we yield to the A to Z. And he's able to meet every need in our lives because he's the one that's always been and always will be. And finally, friends, his intensity. His intensity. His eyes were like blazing fire. He 
His feet like bronze glowing in furnace. His voice like the sound of many waters. His face like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Intensity. I'm not talking about intensity that some people carry. I mean, some people get incredibly intense about revelation. Brother, what do you think the seven seals are? All oh, right, okay, we'll move on. You know, we might get there one day. They get incredibly intense about things that don't matter. When it says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, do you think that was Sunday? I don't know. I don't know. Is it worth debating? You know, you know. Intense people. Christian was talking about George Ridley sending that email. What he didn't tell you was he sent it at 25,000 feet as he was climbing out of, into the skies in India. Have you ever sat next to one of those folks on a plane? You know, they can't leave the phone, the computer, whatever, because the world's going to crash if they can't sort of have access. Intense. Intense about that seat going back. Oof, you know. Intense about things over their eyes. Intense about having a drink. You know, they always seem to be in front of me. You know. We're not talking about any of that. But we're talking, friends, about Jesus. Who, when he speaks, people listen. When he looks at people, they take notice. Whose face is like the sun shining at us. But we're talking about his majesty, his glory, his passion, his beauty, the intensity of Jesus. What happened when John saw all this? He says. I fell at his feet as dead. But what would you do? Please hear me, friends. You see, the problem with some of us is that we've never had an experience where we fell dead at the feet of Jesus. Who are you seeing today? The little baby. The indulgent relative. The person that you can... Or are you seeing the passionate, living Jesus Christ? that wants to make an incredible difference in your life. John fell at his feet as dead. And then he placed his right hand on him and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and hell. Joshua, just before going to battle in Jericho, fell at the commander of the Lord's army as dead. I won't fall out with you, but that was Jesus. Jesus revealed himself at times in the Old Testament. And what did the commander say? Get up. See, sometimes we need the experience of being at his feet. I'm a dead man. And Jesus is always saying, come on. There's work to do. There's ministry to engage in. There's a lost world to reach. But if you'll take that experience of really seeing me for what I am you can do nothing else but make a difference as I close friends one of the repetitive phrases that we'll come across in Revelation over the next few weeks is this he that has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the church my mum was full of she's not with us anymore she was full of earthy advice don't forget to say your please and thank yous Another one was, you've got two of these, one of those, use it in proportion. I spent most of my adult life talking to people. 
I'm not talking about these. I'm talking about that. And sometimes it can be the sound of many waters, but sometimes it's a nudge. Ooh, Jesus has spoken. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You see, because in a sophisticated 21st century world, the King of Glory is still wanting to communicate to people that he loves. People that haven't yet come to the Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And those of us that love him, that will see afresh his humanity, will submit anew to his authority, will appreciate his antiquity, he's got it all sorted out, and will bless him for the glory of his goodness into our lives as he just ministers passionately into us as we sense his intensity. Jesus communicating to the church then, but communicating to the church now. Friends, let's hold our seats. Let's have an ear to hear this H-mail. Right from the throne of glory, coming to Arena Church. And Jesus is speaking to us.